Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. We are back with Rooney talking about cardiac physiology. And I think today it is the dreaded QPQS talk. <laughs> Rooney, I'm not even going to try to pretend like I can even venture in there. <laughs> Take it away. Well, so, we, I mean, we're talking about QPS, uh, QPQS as, as a concept of popping up on boards, right? And and potentially the times you need to know it in the NICU, yeah. okay? So that's why I'm, I'm just going to go through it a little bit, not in, in not in like minutia detail to make people run away, but I just kind of build it up, right? Okay. Um, and, and let's just start with the whole concept of everything around what is a, the, the reason for the heart, basically. Yeah. The reason for the heart is obviously it needs to pump oxygen, glucose around the body, and a few other things too, I think, right? But those are the things that we tend to focus on. Um, and then when it comes, and that's really our cardiac output, right? What is it um, that when it comes to our cardiac output that we are worried about mostly from an intensive care standpoint is really oxygen consumption, right? So even as we're sitting here, our body is using oxygen, Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go to these charts and actually find the baseline oxygen consumption based on on body weight um, and male, female, and, and age and that kind of stuff. Um, and um, the the baseline oxygen consumption in a neonate is between ten and fourteen milliliters oxygen per kilogram. Okay, okay, it's kind of you don't need to know that, but it's kind of an interesting thought, right? Um, we know that oxygen consumption increases with illness, um, with fever, and with exercise. And that's why exercise physiology is so interesting because you have someone on a treadmill, you kind of look at how their um, oxygen consumption increases. Yeah. Okay? And we've been able to take some of that into the ICU and say, hey, how does the oxygen consumption vary in a patient? How can we sometimes reduce oxygen consumption? How can we optimize oxygen consumption? So that's should be part of our discussion whenever we talk about cardiac output. Right. And then um, it's part of that is really, if you're worried about your oxygen consumption, is you need to talk about oxygen capacity. Okay? How are we getting oxygen to the tissue that's consuming oxygen, right? So um, oxygen capacity is really uh, the amount of oxygen that can be found in hemoglobin in the blood. Uh-huh. Okay, so which is hemoglobin times 1.36. The reason I'm going through this is because you will see those uh, in the, the equation starts to appear in my exactly, head right yeah. now. <laughs> the equation will start forming. Okay, um, and then oxygen content is basically what you can buy, uh, bind to the hemoglobin plus uh, freely dissociated oxygen, whatever and, can roam around without yeah, needing exactly. to be carried by oxygen. Exactly, and um, and you know there've been studies looking at how can you have agitated saline uh, and kind of create more dissolved oxygen in the blood and that kind of stuff in very sick patients. Um, So it is, it is an area of study, the oxygen kind of content beyond the hemoglobin bound Mm -hmm. oxygen, which is actually quite interesting. Oxygen delivery is really describes how well the body um, delivers oxygen to the tissue that needs oxygen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and for, for its own consumption, right? Yeah. So, um, which is obviously partially related to um, the, the the oxygen that you have in your hemoglobin, you dissolve one, and your cardiac output, right? right? So that's this is all about oxygen delivery, okay? Yeah. So that means that if you 
if you're not delivering enough oxygen to meet your demand, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's almost, it feels like almost like people on, like in a, in a little river, you know, because mm-hmm. you have people on boats, you have people swimming, and that's like sort of things, people being carried by something, people really dissolve. And then the, the DO2 really is how can they actually reach their destination if there's a blockage then they're just not going to be able to, to get, get there. there yeah exactly or if the river just barely flows at all. exactly yeah they're yeah. never going to get there so one thing that uh is frequently discussed um i would say probably more frequently discussed in the cardiac icu as as um compared to the nicu is arterial venous oxygen saturation difference yeah okay so um what you often then do is you get a mixed venous saturation and you get a arterial saturation uh and you look at the and you compare um the uh the number so in in general a rule of thumb if if you have a greater than 45 percent oxygen extraction it is a hint that your oxygen delivery does not meet your um oxygen consumption okay meaning that the body is trying to be so effective Mm-hmm. At getting all the oxygen it's seeing pass by, yeah. that it's a sign that it's probably not enough is coming by. Yeah, exactly. The oxi- the body should be much less efficient exactly. at extracting oxygen. Correct. Oxygen. Yes, you see it right. So, so um, if you're not getting enough oxygen to the tissue, it's sucking up everything absolutely everything that it can. Uh-huh. Okay, and then your arterial venous oxygen saturations difference will be greater. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the one time that the body doesn't extract oxygen uh, can be in like septic shock. Yeah. So then you have a very narrow arterial venous oxygen um, saturation difference. It's not good either. <laughs> no, it's not good either. <laughs> so on either end, it's not good. But um, that difference is a sign of not being able to provide um, the oxygen delivery that you're looking for or that you need. Okay, so now all of this basically builds up to cardiac output, mm-hmm. right? So the cardiac output really puts a, a numeric value for how well the, um, the heart as a function pumps, right? Um, so the cardiac output can be described as a stroke volume really multiplied by the heart rate. Okay, Stroke volume, we talked a little bit when, when we looked at the, uh, remember on the, in, uh, the Frank Starling curves, mm-hmm. the uh, pressure volume curves. And that, yeah, cardiac output is a direct product of stroke volume and heart rate. Yeah. Basically, how much you pump out and how fast you're pumping. Exactly. Yeah. And remember how we changed the stroke volume? We strained, changed by changing afterload or, or preload or, or increasing contractility. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We changed that volume that's actually ejected from yeah, the, heart, the top. Right? The top part of the curve that just then goes much further back, leaving mm-hmm. much less in the ventricle because it's much more efficient at pumping stuff out. Exactly. Exactly. So you can imagine that curve times how many times a minute is your mm-hmm. cardiac output, okay? Um, that stroke volume can also be, or the cardiac output, if you will, can also be described as part of your flow, okay? So a little back to your rhythm, honestly. Yeah. At first I thought, oh, that doesn't quite work, but now, <laughs> now it actually works. <laughs> so uh, depending, so the flow is really, so like how much are you ejecting and how, how well does that, basically flow throughout mm. the um the body right so that's also another way of thinking of your cardiac output right um it turns out in a normal heart without a shunt so without a vsd without an asd without a ductus so it's a 
fully septated heart. Your um, cardiac output from the right ventricle is the same as the cardiac output from the left ventricle. Okay. Okay. Because if not, it would be like two pumps. One would not be able to catch up with the other. Yeah. So then you would have some kind of problem, Mm -hmm. right? And from all the times that the heart beats, my gosh, you know, it would be a problem relatively quickly. Yeah. Just like in respiratory physiology, when you're stacking up breaths and suddenly over time, you're just, if, you, if you're not exhaling as much as you're inhaling, then yeah. you're going to have a problem. Exactly. And this is where the whole concept of QPQS comes in. Yeah. Okay? QP is a flow of blood um, that goes to the lungs. Uh-huh. And QS is a flow of uh, blood that goes to systemic circulation I see. that comes from your left ventricle. Okay. And so you're saying these two should be equal? They are equal. It's 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 the law of physiology, um, and and as long as you you have a healthy heart, right? Because right. otherwise, the answer on the test is always one. Then, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so the different ways in which in which you can kind of measure um, this flow, okay, and this is all based on something called the Fick principle. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the cath lab, you often do it with actually temperature. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a special catheter that has a um, has a lumen here and a lumen, uh, kind of like a, a thermometer here and a thermometer there. And then you eject uh, from a lumen, everything is calculated up, cold saline. Mm-hmm. And then that, um, that, that um, catheter that measures the temperature here and there and can calculate the flow based on the change in the temperature. I see. Okay? And normally you do it two, three times, uh, sometimes more to kind of to make sure that you get several measurements and that can kind of measure the, 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 the flow, mm. right? And this is whole the whole concept of the Fick principle. And to some degree, you can kind of say indirectly, the, the AVO2 difference, kind of the uh, arterial venous difference too, is the extraction, right? So it kind of mimics that so. Um, anyway, so now we're looking at, um, we're looking at numbers now. Now we're, we're looking at numbers, right? So, so the oxygen consumption. Um, remember, I said you, we go to a chart to find the oxygen consumption, right? And so the flow Q is equal to your cardiac output, which is equal is your consumption uh, over your difference, right? The AVO two difference. And if we go back and look at all the things that we talk about, oxygen capacity and such, you basically add, um, you, you kind of multiply that with the, the difference. Okay, so here's your systemic circulation, which takes your AVO2 difference between the aortic sat and your mixed venous sat, yeah. and then your oxygen carrying capacity right here. Here's your consumption again. On the pulmonary end, you use a pulmonary venous sat minus your pulmonary right. arterial sat, multiply by your oxygen uh, carrying capacity here. Uh, and this is your consumption again. So this is how you calculate your flow. Okay. Without having the, you know, without being in the cath lab and being able to do yeah. it from a, a thermometer standpoint. Right. So this is an indirect way of doing it. Um, and, but it's a good way of doing it. Okay. So now you're calculating your systemic flow and you're calculating your pulmonary flow. And since, Systemic flow and pulmonary flow in a normal heart should be the same. Whenever you don't have a normal heart, which in pediatric cardiology, you frequently don't have normal hearts, right? And you often have either 
left to right shunts, right to left shunts, but most left to right shunts. That's why comparing your systemic uh, flow with your pulmonary flow is actually very important. I see. And that's why QPQS becomes a topic that's mm. talked about in uh, pediatric cardiology and in ICUs in that patient. Okay. Um, so I've said this before, yeah. in a normal heart, QP, Q, um, QP equals QS, which is equal Q. Um, so that's, these are, remember this, I put up the QP and then, um, and the QS. So you can put those two, they equal each other. Yeah. And then, uh, if you go back to your, uh, algebra days, uh, and then you kind of cancel things off, yeah. um, then ultimately you end up with this calculation right here. Okay. So this QP QS equals your aortic sat minus your mixed venous sac, MV is your mixed venous sac, um, divided by your pulmonary venous sac minus your pulmonary arterial sac, mm -hmm. okay? So I wrote down here kind of the, the key, kind of what they mean. So this is how you calculate, okay? Very cool. um, and not infrequently, will so a couple, they might have a couple of discussions, right? Um, not infrequently, will they give you a single ventricle um, heart? is a hypoplastic left heart syndrome, then keep in mind that the pulmonary arterial sat and the aortic sat are the same. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of those things. As a, as a rule, you use, if you have normal, healthy lungs, your pulmonary venous sat is 100%. Okay? But we all know some of our patients, say if you have a BPD patient um, on, on, on the trach, um, and you actually um, go to the cath lab, that patient will not have pulmonary venous sat of 100. Mm. So that makes it kind of your QPQS calculation at the bedside might be a little off because you might actually have pulmonary venous desaturations in a baby with lung disease um, that might actually be 95, yeah. 92, yeah. maybe even lower, right? Yeah. Um, and your mixed venous sat is a, in general, you can use that as your venous saturation, yeah. right? So you sometimes we use our cap gas, it's not optimal. Um, sometimes we use a, you know, normal venous stick is not optimal, but it is, we do it at the bedside. The best mixed venous side, if anyone ever asks you at the, uh, at the bedside, um, is actually your main pulmonary artery sac, because that means that all your, everything's come everything together. has come together. Yeah. SVC, IVC, mm -hmm. everything turns to the right atrium. and then Exactly. And the big one is your coronary sinus. So coronary sinus has a lower saturation of all your mixed venous sats. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes if you go in and you measure right in the in the atrium, and it's actually right in the in the opening of the of the coronary sinus, your mixed venous sat might be kind of artificially that's low. That's yeah. so interesting. So that's why the, it all mixes up and goes up. In, that's in, why the pulmonary artery and the pulmonary is more proximal. Exactly. Yeah. So anything else is suboptimal. But obviously, we're not going to draw a, sat, uh, a, a venous sample from the main pulmonary right. artery. So we have to, but it's an interesting discussion. Um, and the aorta is often, often the aortic sat right here is often used by your, your pulse ox yeah. um, that you can use. So this is kind of the, the background of QPQS. Uh, in a normal heart, it's one-to-one, -one, okay? Um, and one-to-two means that you actually have twice the cardiac output so if you have um, kind of, say, um, a P 
QPQS of say two to one in, in a patient with BSD means you have twice the cardiac output um, that goes to the lungs as to your systemic uh, circulation. Mm-hmm. If you have four to one, four times the cardiac output, four times, no, exactly, but it happens. I mean, because you might hear these kind of measurements. So you have, again, it's one of these situations where you have a, a, a baby with, uh, say, trisomy 21 AV canal that's been in the unit for a long time. They're kind of stuck on the ventilator. You think, oh, this is maybe have a pulmonary hypertension. Is it you know, chronically over-circulated? What's really going on? Or is it just bad lungs? Yeah. And then you take the baby to the cath lab. turns out it's as a QPQS of four to one. So four times the cardiac output actually going up to the lungs. And that has been happening not for one week, but maybe for three weeks, maybe two months, or even longer, right? So that's when you kind of think kind of when the QPQS actually starts mattering. Yeah. Um, and, and, and kind of can guide you in the direction of what you need to do. Excellent. Hope Thanks for sense. Yeah, that, that actually cleared it up. Thank you so much. <laughs>